It is necessary to investigate before legislating. But the line between investigating and persecuting is a very fine one. Now a man is seen walking towards the officer's SUV, or the deputy's SUV. Investigators tell us it seems the suspect was going to pass them, then turned and fired multiple shots while the two were parked. multiple locations that have been burning in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Madam Speaker, my colleagues, my fellow Americans, I rise to support the impeachment of President Donald J. Trump. As far as the allegations of the CIA hacking into the Senate computers, nothing can be could be volatile, and I'm about to talk to him about allegations that he was involved with prostitutes in Moscow and that the Russians taped it and have leverage over him. And now, here's CD Media's host of Information Operation. So welcome to Information Operation. Um, we're glad you're back. We've got a very special guest today. Uh, Patrick Byrne is an entrepreneur. He's the founder of Overstock.com and the CEO. Uh, he knows a lot about the deep state, but we'll get into that later on another interview, I hope. And uh, but welcome. Thank you very much, Todd. So you're here in D.C. Um, you have a purpose, I assume, and it's to really delve into what happened on November 3rd and, and kind of re-engineer, reverse engineer what happened. Right. Well, we've been working on that really for about four months, the reverse engineering side mm -hmm. of it. And so I've, I've come back now that all these processes are working and we're getting the information and digesting and getting it on. I've come to D.C. to spread the message and to uh, so it doesn't get buried. Are you getting a receptive ear? Or? Well, it has started with uh, the alternative media, but mm -hmm. uh, in terms of media, there's become a cone of silence over me since I first came out about this. It's kind of funny because for years, any time I come to town, there's a dozen invitations to come do media, and I usually pick one or two. Uh -huh. Now that people, now that I've shown up this time with this information, this cone of silence has descended over over me. You're one of the deplorables. Yeah, nobody, <laughs> nobody. People have had me on 50 times. Uh -huh. Suddenly, they won't answer the phone for me. Interesting. Yeah. So, uh, tell me. I want to take a step back. You, you got involved in this really before this all happened, before the election, back to 2018. I understand. Well, there were people involved in 2018 mm -hmm. that, and it worked like this. In Dallas, the 2018 election showed irregularities. Mm -hmm. We've had Russ Ramsland on, oh, by the okay, way. So, you know, so that whole yeah. story. So he was working on it for two years, re-engineered it. I got involved late July, early August. I heard about some people in Texas who were doing cybersecurity research related to election fraud. Mm -hmm. And I went down to meet them. Now, it wasn't Russ's group. It was mm -hmm. an allied group. But that allied group started was doing this and introduced me to Russ's work. I didn't meet Russ until some weeks later. Mm -hmm. But so I started funding, me, I started funding various aspects of what's going on and bringing in and, and funding different people who were I had neither of those groups but had unique skills that those right. groups needed and bringing them in. So I've just sort of, I've had the easy job. I'm kind of sitting in the back but been writing the checks 
that keeps things afloat so they can be diving in and doing this research. And, and I think it's obvious now the fraud is, is out there. I mean, the evidence is out there, I should say. And so now the, the task is to make the American people aware of it and to also pressure the state legislatures, if I'm correct. That's correct. And I think that's really what got me to come back to D.C. Once a couple weeks ago it became clear we'd sort of had the breakthroughs mm -hmm. that the information was flowing, the, the house of cards is falling on them, the people are there getting what they need to do the research. Mm -hmm. I came back here to try to punch through the media silence about this. Well, I know Russ has been beating on this issue for two years. He couldn't get anybody to really listen to him. Uh, was trying to get it to the president, was trying to get it, or the FBI didn't want anything to do with it. Um, so where do we take this? Uh, we have the evidence. Uh, it's, we've got a couple weeks before you know, the dates start hitting for the election. What are your thoughts on how this plays out? Well, first, I think we're going to win. I'm, uh, the facts are such that there's no way if this gets to the Supreme Court, if mm -hmm. they let this kind of stuff stand, it's the mm -hmm. end of election law in mm -hmm. the United States. I agree. Uh, I feel good. This morning, there was on MSNBC, the show Morning Joe. Mm -hmm. They were talking, of course, they were about this. They were putting their own spin on it, and but they were saying, you know, this this idea that there was election fraud has now moved from the I'm I'm paraphrasing here. Yeah. It's now moved from the fringe guys on the right to now ordinary Americans are talking about it. So that they're only doing that because they've been forced to. I think that what happens, and when I used to fight Wall Street, I learned this pattern mm -hmm. that sometimes the mainstream will take something until you introduce it in the non-mainstream and you get it. You get Wall uh, Street to Main Street. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, you get eventually enough people talking about it that the mainstream press has to at least talk about it in order to put a spin on it. We're just at that point now. And I think today was that breakthrough with MSNBC talking about it. Well, and the video I, in Georgia had something obviously to do with that. I mean, yeah. You can't deny what happened. <laughs> yeah. Well, they will. It'll yeah. say, you know, it's gone from being there was no fraud to, well, there was fraud, but it wasn't widespread. Yeah. There'll be no widespread fraud. No widespread fraud. <laughs> then there'll be, well, there's no, I don't know. They'll just keep changing the goalposts, moving the goalposts. But it's getting silly at this point. It's, yeah. So uh, I think what happens next, I mean, just 10 days ago, I was mm -hmm. doing interviews on radio stations, on radio shows that were reaching 5,000 people. Mm -hmm. And not even... Hardcore Republican folks, frankly, wouldn't mm -hmm. touch this. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to name any names, but there were hardcore Republican folks who wouldn't touch it. Over the last 10 days, we've moved up to the stations with 25,000 to 50,000 people. Now that I've done a couple interviews with millions of people listening, and I did Breitbart Radio this morning. Oh, good. I don't know how big that is, but I think that's pretty, pretty big. big. We're, re we're in houring doing CD media with you, so mm -hmm. now, we're, now we're ready for the really big time. What's, <laughs> right. what's gonna happen is, once enough of the outside mainstream is talking about it, Fox will be the next to fall, and they will have to have me on, or somebody like me on, to talk about this, and once they do that, the CNNs and MSNBCs of the world have to offer to have me on to attack me, or shred my credibility, or however they're gonna attack it, and so that's how we will break through. One thing I've been made aware of is that the, the RNC has raised a lot of money on this thing, but they're not really sharing it with groups that people like you are supporting. So yeah, it's I really people are bootstrapping this whole effort. We are bootstrapping. Sidney Powell's bootstrapping. I've been funding things. I've heard mm -hmm. the RNC's now raised 200 million bucks. Mm -hmm. Do not give a penny to the RNC anymore about this. Go to, because they're not passing anything on. They're using it to raise all this money. They're replenishing mm -hmm. their coffers. 
I haven't seen a dollar. I haven't seen anybody from the RNC involved in this. In fact, my impression of the RNC is they're, uh, the, my impression of the RNC is a bunch of socialites. They're raising money off this. Nobody cares if Trump loses. They and think it's done. It's, yeah, it's yeah. It. it's they're nothing people, frankly, and they uh, and they they don't care if Trump loses because they're thinking it's like a social club, and in fact, they think that it hurts if they help Trump. And this goes, if they help Trump, that's sort of jeopardizing their future abilities to work as a consultant or their name's gonna be besmirched because mm -hmm. this is, a, you know, if it gets played off as, as a coup or something. So they're, they're essentially the mainstream establishment Republicans have completely abandoned Trump. And I want the public to know this. They, and I didn't vote for the guy, but nothing disgusts me more than these weak in the knees Republicans and the fact that they're raising money off this, 200 million bucks, and they haven't passed a dollar on, do not give another dollar to the Republican Party about this stuff. Go to defendingtherepublic.org or... or it's multiple, We'll put out some more information on the, the different new, sites. The uh, Citizens for Fair, Fair Elections.org. The, 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 it's, it's heinous. What the they are raising money off this and not a dollar is coming through to help. And I don't think they've really realized the game has changed. I mean, in, in four years ago, you had the, the national reviews of the world that, that basically, you know, uh, sit back and write articles about what it is to be conservative. And when somebody comes in and actually does it, you know, they disappear. Yeah, because he doesn't know he doesn't know who Edmund Burke was, maybe. Right. And so right. They're, because they're used to there are feet intellectuals who you want to sip sip tea and talk about Edmund Burke. And a guy like Trump comes along, who was clearly a bull in a china shop, mm -hmm. and they can't, you know, there's, a, there's an expression, I was a student in England for a couple of years, and there was this expression I'll never forget, not our class, dear, NOCD. And it's the stuffy way that British aristocrats have of looking down their nose and saying, hey, not our class, dear. Well, that's collectively how the establishment Republican Party has always viewed Trump, which is actually the sort of the first thing that made me mm -hmm. start liking him, the mm -hmm. fact that they look down their nose at him, and their whole... You can just hear them thinking, "Oh, he's not our class, dear," <laughs> and and they're they're raising money off this, and they aren't helping a bit, and they ought to get out of the way. I completely agree. And I so, didn't even vote for the guy. I swore on my eyes, I did not vote for the guy. It just is making me ticked off, though. What right. I'm so, what, what do you think about um, you know, obviously uh, McConnell, uh, Linwood, and Sidney and others, Bannon got McConnell's attention by saying, "Don't vote in Georgia unless." we deal with this presidential election first. And, and that hints the article in Breitbart yesterday. What are your thoughts on that whole thing? I think, I did read that in Breitbart yesterday. I think that that Republicans are forming a Mexican firing squad. I really mm -hmm. don't like, I don't, well, so they're doing that, so Lynn and Sidney are doing that in order to pressure the Republican party right. to help. To, to, to basically force a, a new session, a special session. Uh, in Georgia to deal with the issue. So th that's the logic behind it. I'm just curious if you had thoughts on that. It sounds like a bit of a Rube Goldberg. I'm not, uh, I'm not, when it comes to politics, I don't see all the bank shots and trick shots other people mm -hmm. do. I think mm -hmm. that, I think that people, uh, well, this is, this is our 25 meter target. We mm -hmm. gotta handle this issue first. I don't think it's a good idea to be telling people yeah. not to vote in Georgia. Yeah. On the other hand, the Breitbart article went off after Linwood because he gave money to Democrats all his mm -hmm. life. Well, the guy's a plaintiff's attorney. Newsflash, America. Every plaintiff's attorney in America gives money to Democrats. Also, my understanding is that about two years ago, he had something of a conversion experience of some right. kind. And right. his whole mentality about 
the world and his role in it and his, his, uh, his view of all that has changed. So I think that's, I think those are silly objections. Now, if, if I, I'm not sure, I don't know about this idea of telling Republicans not to vote in, in that runoff. I think that that's dangerous. Yeah. But if it's a way, if what it, so it's really just a way of pressuring. It's a way of, uh, that's, you know, the, the GOP establishment's self-interest is what motivates them and not being in power if they lose the election is obviously something that they care about and, and hence the reaction. But I'm not even know. sure. When you get talking to people like at the RNC and those mm -hmm. kind of people, you know, they may tell you that things like that matter mm -hmm. to them, but ultimately it's like a social club of mm -hmm. effete snobs mm -hmm. and that they, they don't stand for anything or believe. Look at, I, you know, I won't name names, but they're just the epitome. You know, the swamp isn't just Democrats only. The swamp is both sides. This and, is true. And there's a bunch of Republicans who are just, you know, stand for nothing. And this is, you know, this is the moment. And yet they're, I, they're, they're, they're getting, they're worried about what their resume is going to look like if they mm -hmm. back Trump. And mm -hmm. if they, uh, and it just tells you they're the kind of Republicans who were fine being on the outside or being the junior party for decades. Doesn't really interfere with their socialite plans. I uh, spent some time on Wall Street trading emerging market debt for about 20 years, and I know you've had some experiences there. I'm curious what, how you think the street is functioning today. I mean, you know, I remember back in the day, there was always somebody, a talking head on some, don't worry about China, it's going to be fine, They're, we need to engage, all of that. I mean, do you have any thoughts on that whole, uh, do you think Wall Street is beholden to, uh, you know, Beijing? Well, I think that the first, the, the oligarchy, which has taken over our country. I've lived a lot of my life in third world countries. Mm -hmm. And what we have here is an oligarchy, it has mm -hmm. two wings. One wing is the deep state and one wing is the financial elite. And those mm -hmm. are the two wings of the oligarchy. Mm -hmm. So uh, they, when I was a child, people on Wall Street were all wealthy, were patriots and mm -hmm. cared about the country. And uh, now- J.P. Morgan saving the country in the 20s. And, yeah. yeah, well, oh yeah. And, and, uh, wasn't it earlier? I think it was 07 that he saved it, which drove the. I may be wrong, but uh, uh, I think that I think that there are people there on Wall Street who don't care about the greater implications. They're taking part in the looting of America, and they yeah. don't care what what carnage it leaves behind. And they've sold out to China, so I I don't expect if you're looking as as Warren Buffett once said, if you take the high road on Wall Street, you won't meet any traffic. <laughs> It's just fascinating to me, you know, the, the agendas that are going on behind the scenes. Um, and people have forgotten there has to be always a processor running in the back of your mind about, well, what about America? This yeah, isn't about what your yeah. next quarterly earnings are. Uh, I've lived in China in the uh -huh. early, early days of their opening to the West, and I love the Chinese people. I can't believe we're flirting with the ideas over here that we're, and that people understand, you know, that there's a really, key book called The 100-Year Marathon. I've read it. I've, I've promoted it often. Yeah, Michael Pillsbury. Mm -hmm. uh, that matches. I mean, we could have, and we've tried to have for four decades, a constructive relationship. You ever hear the quote? There was some with China. There was mm -hmm. a journalist who said decades ago, I forget if it was Snow or somebody said, uh, the what's the difference between Chinese and American, uh, Chinese and Russians for Americans is when Americans and Chinese meet each other, we love each other, and that's not the same with Russians. There is this deep historical affinity, I always felt with China, I was raised to feel this great affinity, and, mm -hmm. you know, a sense of we were the one Western nation that actually tried to play a constructive role there. We mm -hmm. kept the Europeans from, you know, the Europeans were gonna slice it up like they did to, to uh, Africa, mm -hmm. and we 
did something called the open door policy, mm -hmm. which was we convinced Europe, don't slice up China, just kind of these poor Shanghai and such. And so there, uh, and when I was a student in China, the Chinese people were taught about this historic affinity between mm -hmm. our two countries. It's unfortunately been wiped out of a lot of Chinese education at this point. So, uh, uh, so uh, it's especially sad for me to see this, the relations unraveling like this, but better than that they unravel than that we succumb. And if we, if we don't re, it's like being in a bad relationship with a, partner of mm -hmm. different kinds there are sometimes you just have to hit control all delete sure. and you don't have to make throw dishes about it but you can say it's time that we reestablish what this whole relationship is about and it's absolutely right that we do that they are clearly on a path to take us down and make us a vassal state and mm -hmm. you know that book that book basically said in 1949 they adopted a hundred year plan to do so mm -hmm. 66 years into it which was 19 or 2015 they were running about 20 25 years ahead of plan yeah so we're really, in fact, I, I had somebody tell me a couple of years ago in this town, Patrick, there are two kinds of people in this town. Those who think that if we don't act now, in 10 years, China will will be a vassal state to China, mm -hmm. and the other group thinks it's already too late. And right. those are the only two groups. Right. I find, uh, or I'm of the camp that um, I think the Chinese economy is much weaker than we actually think it is, or that the, I think it's more of a house of cards. You have them building cities to keep the people employed. And that if they pull the big market away for dumping goods, which is basically what they do here, you know, how does that economy survive? Do you do you attach any? Well, it's to a that huge. It is a huge. Uh, you know, people don't generally get that the real dynamic is it's an expropriation state. Mm -hmm. They have these masses that they are absolutely expropriating from. Mm -hmm. They've got the unlimited peasants to draw from. They bring them into the cities as the cities develop, and it's really an extraction economy where the mm -hmm. elites are extracting the riches off the backs of these people who are doing the actual uh, assembling the iPhones. Right. Uh, so they're not getting their whole concern is uh, staying in power, and I think it's about time. If we don't have a happy, we don't want it to go on any longer. We yeah. either want to get something good between us, or we or we want to do what they're doing to us. I think it's going to turn out that China is linked to what's going on in this whole of election course. debacle. Of course, but we have to. When you're in a relationship, a bad relationship with someone, sometimes the only thing to do yep. is withdraw. You don't have to fight about it, scream at each other. You just withdraw, decouple, and that has to. We should either decouple or we get a completely. Yeah, new relationship. Our relationship with China was devised in the 1990s under Bill Clinton when they were a basket case. And we did the right thing and tried to help them. And we gave them terms of trade that were the terms of trade you would give to a basket case country sure. to help them. China's not a basket case anymore. There's no reason that we should have this preference. We still give them foreign aid, I understand, in some small measure. Yeah, it's not just that. It's the tariff. You know, they they have a quote. We have a quote. Uh, tariffs on their cars of mm -hmm. last second, before all this went bad. It was like four percent, and they have a tariff on our cars of twenty five right. or forty right. percent or something. Right. Well, that's what you do to help somebody stand up. But now sure. they're a competitor, and they can they don't uh, they don't need a an artificial support like that. Do you think Xi moved too fast? Do you think he played his cards too fast? Uh, I'm of the belief that maybe he, if he doesn't win this, he could be possibly removed from power. Oh yeah, he's already shaky because of how he handled COVID. There's really mm -hmm. two mafias in China. There's mm -hmm. the Zhao Ziyang mafia and the Xi Jinping mafia. Mm -hmm. By mafia, I don't mean in the literal 
sense, but to say two clicks, mm -hmm. two, two cliques. And when one gets in power, they use the anti-corruption police to wipe out the other side as much as they can. And then the other one gets in power and they get their anti-corruption police to go and wipe out the... Similar to so what you see here, trying, to, trying yeah, to get started. It's all politicized. Yeah, yeah. Um, just as that has been happening here. So, um, final issue. The, the Russians and the Chinese have always distrusted each other. But now you see some type of military alliance saying to be formed. Uh, Russia has leased you know, a, a lot of hectares of land in Siberia to China, which they probably won't ever get back. What, what do you think of that relationship? I'm just curious, since you're is, a worldly kind of guy. Well, thank you, I don't like that. <laughs> it is historical, it is in the blood of the Chinese that they, I mean, it's their DNA, that the enemy from the north, it's always the enemy from the north. They mm -hmm. never had to worry about enemies from the south mm -hmm. or the east, but the enemies from the north, the Manchus, the, the Mongols, mm -hmm. uh, China, Russia has a lot more to fear from China than it does to us. I will mention, I think that we made, and I, I'm a hawk, I was raised in national security circles by a hawk's hawk named Jack mm -hmm. Vesey, who was mm -hmm. General Jack Vesey and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs sure. under Reagan. Yeah. And he taught me about, that. about the world. He mm -hmm. was 